We're exploring the Kutta Sikha's volume 16 by Yakil Pakude. Fascinating Sikha on many levels. It's a fascinating Sikha, A, on the Pshat level, the way the Rebbe's signature style of studying the literal text with the Rashi and showing the precision therein. Two, the Sikha contains also a section of complicated uh, nuance showing how this Rashi uncovers um, and, and teaches us important halachic and slash Talmudic concepts. And C, the Rebbe gives us two very, very special lessons. For the sake of clarity, I'm going to put uh, the lessons right after the literal level of the discussion. I'm going to save the halachic Talmudic uh, section, which is more complex, to the end of, of this class. To jump right in, so the Rebbe begins the Sikha. The Rebbe asks basically four questions. Question one is, we know that the women wove the goats here for the tapestries right on the backs of the goats. As it says right in the text, the language is, quote, they wove of the goats. You don't weave goats. Clearly meaning that they actually wove it on the goats. And this is obvious because when you contrast it to the verse prior where it talks about their donation and their weaving of the wool for the lower tapestry, the first covering on the Mishkan, which was wool, the blue wool, the purple wool, etc. And there, it doesn't speak about anything about the backs of the sheep. It doesn't mention sheep at all. It just says that they wove uh, the blue wool and the purple wool, etc. And the following verse contrasts that by saying the women who were extraordinarily wise, they actually wove the goats, which means clearly they wove it right on the backs of the goats. Here's the Rebbe's questions. What's the value of doing that? It's clearly a difficult process. Like, why bother? What's the benefit? What do you gain from that trip? Question two, if it is valuable, if there's a benefit to it, why didn't they do it also by the wool tapestries? Right on the backs of the sheep. Question three says the rabbi, more general question. We know that the temple was built in the normal order of the industry standard, if you will. How do I mean? That even though Moshe commanded us first about the vessels of the temple, if you look in Parshas Teruma, First the vessels, the ark, the showbread table, and the menorah. And then the actual building, the coverings and the walls. If you look in the portion of Ayakel, Bitzalel, who built it, he reversed it. He first built the building, the coverings and the walls, and then he built the furniture. And he first got permission from Moshe, and he said to Moshe, this doesn't make any sense. This is not Minha Gaulam. This is not industry standard. This is not the normal way of the world. If you first build furniture, and then you look for a place to put it. First you build a house, and then you build the furniture. And Moshe agreed that that's actually what Hashem had wanted him to do. If you look at commentary, it explains why Moshe didn't command it in that order. But practically speaking, the order of the building, of the construction, was supposed to be first, it's supposed to be normal. The way of the world. First the building and then the furniture. Why? The Rebbe doesn't explain it, but uh, one might say because the Mishkan is a home for God in the physical world. Dira uh, a home in the lowest world, so maybe it should go in the order of the normal world. It should be done in industry standards. And therefore, it was built in a normal order. First the building, then the vessel, the, uh, the furniture, the vessels. So they have a very simple question in Yiddish, you call it balabata If we're going in the normal order, and that's why we're building the building before the furniture. Why are we building the, the roof before the walls? Did you ever see somebody build a roof before building the walls? Never happened. And in the temple, they did that. That's question three. Then the Rebbe asks the fourth question, that when you look in the Rashi, 
on the on the verse that we just discussed a few moments ago that the women wove the backs of the sheep of the goats. Rashi says this was a special skill. And he goes on. This Rashi is quoting the Talmud. That's its source. Rashi always has a source in either Talmud or Medrash or classic oral Torah. However, he deviates from the language of the Talmud. The Talmud is pretty much quoting the verse itself. And the Talmud says it was Chachma Yisera, an extraordinarily extraordinary wisdom. Rashi changes it. He says, Umnus Yisera, an extraordinary skill. Why would he change it? And as the Rebbe points out very often, that when Rashi deviates from his source, therein lies an important message. And we're going to see that one word changing from wisdom to skill. <laughs> it's huge. Extraordinary. That's the most powerful, most special part of this sikha, in my understanding. So that becomes question four. Let me pull up a spreadsheet, which will show us all four questions to make it easier to follow and concentrate. So those are our four questions. To recap, question one, what's the benefit of weaving goats here on the backs of the goats? Why do you have to show the trick? What do you get? Question two, if there is a benefit, why not do it by the wool coverings as well? Question three, why were the coverings made before the wool boards, which is contrary to normal custom? And we're trying to do this project in normal custom. Question four, the Talmud calls it a special wisdom. Rashi calls it a special skill. Why the difference? Why does it deviate? So the Rebbe answers the questions. This part of the Sikh is relatively straightforward and clear and simple almost. The Rebbe says that uh, when you bring a sacrifice, a gift to the temple, a gift to Hashem, there are different types of sacrifices. This sacrifice from the animal kingdom, the sacrifice from the vegetable kingdom. And it's clear, it's understood that sacrifice from the animal kingdom is a higher level sacrifice. We have the sacrifices of Cain and Abel. Cain brought from the uh, flax for the earth, Abel brought from the animal kingdom. So we see there are different types of sacrifices. In the Torah, when it talks about sacrifices, you can bring animals, you can bring a, a meal offering from, from vegetation. Clearly, a higher offering is an animal kingdom. It's a higher category being. And therefore, it makes sense that the women who were excited here to bring the highest level sacrifice, they said, you know, why bring uh, just uh, goats here, which would be considered the growth, vegetation, or maybe even inanimate? Let's bring the animals. Let's do it. Weave it right on the back of the goats and donate the goats. Ha! We're bringing a carbon. We're bringing a gift. Remember, this is a time the Jews are trying to be atoned for the golden calf, which they built with such alacrity and, 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 and generosity, and they want to show the same spirit, and even more so in the building of the temple. So I'm going to bring uh, some goats here. I'm going to bring goats all woven up. So I'm, I'm bringing a livestock. I'm bringing a gift from the animal kingdom. It's a much higher level saga. So that really answers question one. Question two, if there's a benefit, why didn't they do it by the wool coverings? Aha! The wool covering is required to be dyed before they're donated. It doesn't say to donate wool. It says to donate blue wool and purple wool and red wool, what have you. And therefore, they have to first shear it and then weave it and then dye it. So you can't do that on the backs of the sheep. So that answers question two, very simple. Question three, why were the, wool, why were the coverings made before the wool boards? Because remember, we are donating goats. Right on the backs of these goats, we have woven, we have already woven goats here. They bring it to Moshe, they donate it. It's got to immediately be shared. They can't let it sit around in a pen 
until they finish making those wall boards. Why do they have to immediately share? Two reasons. First of all, if they don't, then the, the hair is going to continue to grow and it's going to mess up the whole weaving. Two, it's it's discomfort to the animals, pain or discomfort. They're walking around with their backs all woven up. And probably they wouldn't let them roll around the dirt and, and it's going to limit their movement, what have you. And that's not, you can't do that. You can't extend that for no, unnecessarily. And therefore, for those two reasons, they have to share it off immediately. They donate the goats to Moshe. Boom, share it off on arrival. You can't delay it. Until they finish building wall boards, which could take days or weeks. Aha. Uh -huh. But then one might argue, okay, so they have to, when they bring the goats, they have to immediately share more. Because of the two reasons that we said, A, we don't want it to continue to grow, and B, we don't want to cause unnecessary discomfort to the animal. So you got to share it off immediately. But once it's shared off, put it in storage, build your wall boards, and then come back and build the coverings as per industry standard, the normal custom. Why do they have to actually immediately go and manufacture those tapestries before they did the wall boards? What was the rush with that? So here the Rebbe says that Rashi answers that question with that one deviation from the Talmud. Instead of saying it was a special wisdom, it's a special skill. What's the difference? Special wisdom means this took a lot of talent. It was very difficult. Somebody makes a trick. It's very hard. Ah, the women had special wisdom that they were able to do this. It also means that they had special wisdom that they appreciated the value of bringing a sacrifice on the animal kingdom. They're wise women. And they're creative. They can do something that is very difficult to do. But still doesn't spell out that the actual quality of the final product is better. When you say special skill, umnus, that means that this is a better, the word skill means it, it, it's applied in the actual outcome, in the, in the final product, that the, the, the product is better. When Rashi deviates and calls it a special skill, not only is it a nicer level sacrifice, it's actually a better goat's here, and it's much softer because it's coming right off the back of the animal. It's fresh, it's moist, whatever, and therefore the, the, the manufacturing process will be better and the final product will be better. By saying this, Rashi answers, answers uh, why they could not delay the building, the manufacturing of these tapestries until after they build the wallboards, because you got to manufacture immediately. You don't want to lose the benefit of that special skill. Remember. Special skill means it's a better product. It's 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 it's, it's goats here that's moist and, and and ready to work with. So of course they have to build it right away. So this answers all the four questions, pretty much straightforward. And again, it's very creative and special how the Rebbe, in a very clear and simple way, points out this idea that they could not delay it, it would cause discomfort to the animals, but also how one word in Rashi makes all the difference. It's a special skill. It's a different level, uh, bottom lines, a different level uh, goats here, different level thread, different, different material. And therefore, they're not going to delay a manufacturing the coverings, they'll do it immediately, which explains why they deviated from the order of the world, quote unquote, and built the coverings before the walls. This is the end of the discussion on the simple shot level. And the Rebbe comes out with two lessons, which are at the end of the Sikh, as I mentioned earlier, though I'm going to put them in now. Two powerful lessons. Lesson one says the Rebbe, you have a skill, you got to use it. 
that's what uh, the women had a special skill. It doesn't say anywhere that they had to do this. It doesn't say that they had to go out of their way to do this, but they knew they had this skill. If you're given a special skill, if you're given a special opportunity, translate it, what have you, a special talent, you need to know that you're given the talent in order to build the temple for Hashem, whichever one of our lives is a temple for Hashem and to live a better life, a better Jewish life. We have to use all our talents. We have to be all we can be. Very simple and very powerful lesson. Every person has talents, opportunities, skills, special interests, and those things are all given to us for the sake of serving Hashem. And if we have something special, we got to bring it to the table. Cute story. I was visiting the oil a while back, and I, I, I met a, a, a few college students who were visiting from Boston University, and they were with a young Chabad, Chabad rabbi. So he calls me over. And he says, "Why don't you say to them something inspirational about the oil? They're going to the oil. It's something special." Say something to them. So I said to these students, I didn't know what to tell them. I, I didn't really have the time, and I, I didn't really have any special thoughts to share. I said to them, where are you guys from? So they told me they're from BU. That's how Boston University is known, BU. So I said, you want to know what the Rebbe's message is? BU. Each of us has to, uh, has to be ourselves, has to bring to the table our talent. These women had a talent. Nobody asked them. Nobody required it. But of course, they brought it to the table. So this is the takeaway everyone has to apply to their own personal story. And then lesson two is that uh, when it comes to not causing pain or discomfort to an animal, we deviate from the order of the world, quote unquote. We deviate from the order of things. Certainly if it's true with an animal, it's certainly true with a person. And not only is it true when it comes to providing a person, and certainly a Jew, with their physical needs, but how much more so with their spiritual needs. A person is naked, you have to clothe them. A person is hungry, you have to feed them. And it's translated in a spiritual sense, a person who's naked from mitzvahs, because mitzvahs are considered garments. You meet a yid who, who's lacking mitzvahs, or a yid who's lacking Torah study, which is considered spiritual nourishment, food. You got to stop everything you're doing and feed them. You can't wait for the order of the world. The order of the world might be when one day, when I'm all done, I studied a lot of Torah and mitzvahs, and I'm, I'm a big Talmud Chacham, a big Torah scholar. Now I'll take away my time to inspire another Jew. That might be the order of the world, but who has time for the order of the world when there is tzar balechayim, when there's a pain caused not just to an animal, but to a person and to a Jew, namely that he's missing in Torah and mitzvahs, he's missing garments, he's missing essentials. Don't be so organized. Don't wait till you're done and you did all your mitzvahs and you're the perfect Jew you need to be. And now I'll worry about another year. I got to grab and help whenever I can. I got to rush. There's an immediacy. There's an urgency because a Jew is uncomfortable which is derived from this lesson. The Rebbe in a footnote alludes to a very beautiful story that Tzemach Tzedek, the third Rebbe, that when his grandfather, the Alta Rebbe, passed away, he very much wanted his grandfather to come and see him, visit him. I guess either in a dream or, or not in a dream, and talk to him and tell him what's going on, say hi. And the days went by and he had not come. And he felt terrible. And he did whatever he did to try to uh, bring it about, whatever he knew that you have to do to try to prepare himself to be worthy of it, and it didn't happen. And then one day, he's on the way to shul. 
And a poor villager came up to him, it was a market day, and he asked him to lend him money from his free loan fund. It's a Mahzadik had a free loan fund that he would lend people money, and they would use it on the market days to go buy something so they could sell it in, in the village or what have you, and that's how they would make a living. So the Mahzadik says, sure, I'm going to show to Davin. So uh, meet me, I guess, at my house, whatever it is, after Davin in a couple hours. Then he went into shul, and, and, and I don't remember if he put on his talis and tefillin, or he was about to. And then he realized that if he this fellow loses these few hours, he may not be able to provide for his family, because these are important hours in the market. So he went, ran out, and he found the fellow, and he, and he brought him right away the, the, the gemilas chasa, the free loan. He said, go, go do your, what you have to do on the market. And then he went back to shul. And as soon as he walked in, he saw his grandfather, the Alter Rebbe, with a glowing face. So this is brought down in one of the footnotes that this is out of order. I mean, the normal order is you start your day, you go to show, you dive it, and when you finish, you go help the Yid with whatever he needs. You're going to go in the morning and you put your talus away and go there, and then you have to come back. It's out of order. It's true. But who can worry about order when you got to worry about a Yid? And we learn it from the temple. Same story where Betzalel said that this should be done in the normal industry standard, the normal order of things. And Hashem agreed to that. But not if it's going to be at the expense of the suffering of even an animal, let alone the need of a yid. So those are the lessons. I'm moving on now to the Talmudic scholarly section of the Sikha. I want to say that if you uh, follow this so far, and uh, the last part doesn't talk to you, that's fine. The last part is rather complicated, but it's also very rich, and I want to share it. Let's see if I can line it up properly. Screen. So. The Rebbe introduces a discussion, by, which is introduced by the Ragachov going, the genius of Ragachov, of Yosef Rosen, who the Rebbe considered his teacher, by the way, he quotes in many sikhas. Brilliant, brilliant man. The Rebbe said once in the sikha of Purim, Tavshim Emzayin, famously, that we see the Ragachov going, a genius who lived in our time and who was, a, so to speak, ordinary person in the sense that he wasn't one of the great tzaddikim. And uh, yet his scholarship is uh, on the level of days gone by, of the greats, of, 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 of way back when. And the Rebbe says, uh, it's obvious from his works, the Rebbe clearly held him, held him in tremendous regard. And uh, so a brilliant, brilliant person, Torah scholar. The Rebbe introduces the Rugged Chavar. Why does he introduce this thing? Because this is going to point again, remember, the nuance that Rashi changes from the Talmud. The Talmud calls this work of the weaving of the backs of the sheep, of the goats, uh, extraordinary special wisdom. And Rashi deviates it and calls it a special skill. And that is going to help clarify a big Talmudic question related to the Rugged Chavez question. So let's get into it. Rugged Chavez asks the question, how could the women participate in the building of the tabernacle of the temple? It was a time-sensitive mitzvah. We know you're not allowed to build a temple at night, only by day. And we know women are, are uh, exempt from time-honored mitzvahs. 
And there's a principle, according to some opinions, that if you are exempt from a mitzvah, you cannot uh, you cannot be the one to do it, to be responsible to, to build it, to put it together. The example is that a woman is not supposed to weave patitas together or bind the lulav together. doesn't mean she can't shake the lulav, but she shouldn't be the one to put it together or to prepare the tzitzis because she doesn't have the obligation for those mitzvahs. And therefore, because she's exempt from them, she cannot build them. She cannot create them, if you will. So if the temple is a time-honored mitzvah, time-sensitive mitzvah, and therefore women are exempt from building the temple, so how could they be involved in, in, in this whole thing with the weaving? Powerful question the Rabbi Chava genius asks. And he answers, he says, wait a minute, the temple, the building of the temple has two mitzvahs. There's a mitzvah to build the temple, the active commandment, thou shalt build the temple, if you will. And then there's another mitzvah that there should be a temple that is built in order to bring sacrifices. This is more the result of the mitzvah. Not that you should build a mitzvah, that a temple needs to be built so that you can bring sacrifices. And the difference is very important, you see. While women are not obligated to build the temple because they don't have the mitzvahs that are time-sensitive, but they're obligated to bring sacrifices. And therefore, they are obligated in, in number two. They're obligated in making sure that there's a temple built. What would be the practical difference between these two the mitzvahs? Which portion of the temple are they building? If it's a portion of the temple that is critical to allow the temple to be considered a temple, a tabernacle in our case, to be considered a valid sacrifice fit tabernacle, then women are obligated to do it, just like men, because they need sacrifices. If, however, it's an extra, it's a part of the temple that is not binding, that if this is not there, this is not called a tent, this is not called a temple, and therefore we can't bring sacrifices. But rather, this is an extra, this is other details that add beautification. The man has the mitzvah to do what they do. Don't. So that's the first half of your screen. How could women participate in the building of the tabernacle? Depends. There's two parts. In the building, women are exempt, which would represent the non-critical portions, non-critical to make the temple, the tabernacle, sacrifice fit, to give it the label that it's a tent, that it's ready to go. Whereas the requirement that they should, that there should be a tabernacle built in order to bring sacrifices, they have that requirement too. They have to build sacrifices. They're obligated in sacrifices. And therefore, that would express itself in the fact that critical portions of the Mishkan of the tabernacle, the temple, that are required in order to make it ready and fit for a sacrifice, they are responsible. And they could participate there. So let's continue. Let's put that down into our situation. So what happens with the goat hair covering? Are they or are they not critical? to making the temple, the tabernacle, sacrifice ready. Remember, parts that are critical, women can participate. Parts that are not, they cannot, because they don't have that obligation. This particular goat's hair situation, is it or is it not critical? Let's make it clear that the lower level covering, the wool covering, is clearly critical, because without that, the Mishkan doesn't have a cover. If it doesn't have a cover, it's not called a tent. 
So clearly the first covering, the women wove, of course they wove, of course they participated, why not? They need to provide a covering for the temple to give it the title of a tent, and now you can bring sacrifices, and that because that's their obligation, and therefore they have that, they can clearly participate. But now on top of that, there's a second covering, you know, maybe more for beauty or what have you. And that becomes the question, does that second covering um, have the status of, of, of being critical to give the tabernacle the, the term tent, to make it a mishkan, and to make a sacrifice fit? So the Rebbe argues that there's a difference between the way it's in the Talmud and the Gemara and the way the literal text and the way Rashi reads it in the text itself. In the Talmud, the answer would be no. In Rashi, the answer would be yes. Where do we get this from? Because there's a verse in the Torah which says in this week's portion of Pekude that he threw the tent on top of the Mishkan. Unquote. The Talmud says that refers to the first level covering. There's a Mishkan, there's wall, and you throw the first covering, you have a tent. Rashi translates the words literally, because remember Rashi is about literal text. That when he threw or he spread the, the tent on the Mishkan, this represents the second covering, which was spread over the first. The first one was actually referred to as the word Mishkan. This is a small nuance, but it's a huge nuance. Based on this, it comes out that according to the Talmud, the second level tent covering, the goat's hair covering, is not contributing to the title tent for the tabernacle. And therefore, it's not critical for the temple to be a tent and to be fit, a place fit for sacrifices, whereas according to Rashi, it is. So the difference would be that according to the Talmud, the women cannot partake in that process, and according to Rashi, they can. But how could this be? That according to the Talmud, they cannot participate. The text says that they did. We just learned the whole thing, that they wove the goats here. And according to the Talmud, the way it's explained here, they cannot participate. Because according to the Talmud, clearly that second level is not what made it a tent. It was already a tent after the first. The second level is just beautification. It's not required to make the temple a place for sacrifices. So how could the women build it? And according to the Talmud, it squarely seems that they cannot. Says the Rebbe, that's why the, the language in the Talmud is special wisdom. Unlike Rashi with special skill. Skill denotes the final product. Wisdom denotes it's a trick. It's something creative. And therefore, that becomes a loophole, how the women can participate in this process. It's true the women are not really supposed to build the goats here level of the, of the temple coverings, because as we said before, it's not critical for the temple to be called a house fit for sacrifices. But of course, they want to participate. How did they get around it? They did something brilliant. They wove it on the backs of the goats. This is not really called a skill. This is already a wisdom. This is not yet a product, is the way I'm understanding this. Remember, a skill means a product. A wisdom means it's a conceptual thing. 
They, they did it on the backs of the animals. And from my understanding, the way the Rugged Chavar explains this, and therefore it's not considered that they, that they created something. So maybe it's like weaving somebody's hair and they, or, or, or it's, it's a natural growth. It's a natural growth. They didn't provide a product. There's no product to be spoken of. It's taking some, but taking an animal and weaving its hair, taking a person and braiding their hair. You didn't do a product. You didn't provide a skill, namely a gift to the temple as a product. You merely showed your wisdom. And therefore that would not be considered that they built anything for the temple. They just gave the goats. Then they went and shared the goats. Moshe did, or what have you, Betzal. And then they had this tremendous gift from the skill. This was a way that they got around, they circumvented this issue. Brilliant stuff. This is from the Rugged Shabbat, this part of it. Says the Rebbe, when Rashi deviates from that, and says special skill, not special wisdom. Because Rashi believes, we already know that Rashi believes that the second covering is actually critical to making the temple sacrifice ready. Based on the actual verse in the text, as mentioned earlier. And therefore the women don't have to do any special wisdom and show a trick and stay away from doing the skill of providing goats here thread by just donating goats and what have you. No, they can actually do the skill of providing goats here. There's no issue because this is critical. And therefore Rashi is it changes that word from wisdom to skill. I hope this is clear. It's a little bit complicated. Based on this, it never backs up and introduces in, in, in passing. A, a, another debate in halacha of whether or not weaving goats here on the back of the goat is exempt or it's a, a direct violation of Shabbos. We know one of the violations of Shabbos is weaving. It's one of the 39 laws. But what happens if I didn't weave the thread? It's still in the back of the goat. I went to the goat and I'm weaving it on the back of the goat. It's clearly not allowed, but the question is, is it Chayiv, that you have to bring a sacrifice or be punished, or you're exempt from the punishment. So the question is, we know Shabbos, what is prohibited? Work, actual work, actual skill, actual accomplishment. Whereas if you're doing it, so, so it comes out that according to the Talmud, that if you're weaving on the back of the goat, you're not doing anything in the real world. Your braiding is here. Hashem is the one who's making it grow. That's the language of the Rugged Shabbat. You're playing with nature, and nature is, uh, is making it grow, but you're weaving it on the thing. You haven't created a final product. And therefore, even though it's gorgeous, it's special, it, it, it's not disconnected, and Hashem is a partner, or nature is a partner in your process. And therefore, although it's not allowed, you did not violate Shabbos. Because it's not a skill. It's not a belacha. It's a chachma, it's a wisdom being creative. It's like somebody braiding you here in a beautiful way. That's my example. Whereas when you're dealing, when you're weaving, according to Rashi, and again, this is brilliant halachic bombshells that the Rebbe is throwing in based on one word in Rashi, that Rashi refers to it not as a wisdom alone, but also a skill. Translation, not just showing talent of the women, but showing the benefit of the result 
On Shabbos, it's the result that creates the violation, not the talent of the person. And being that Rashi clearly considers weaving goats here on the goat's back as a skill, as translated earlier, skill means a better product. This is a Shabbos malacha. This is a violation of Shabbos. And in the positive sense, this would mean that it was uh, that they actually built it. They didn't have to find a way to circumvent it uh, for the Mishkan, as we said earlier, because this was according to the literal sense of the Pshat, of the Torah, critical to the building of the temple. Again, this last section is quite complicated. Uh, if you couldn't follow it, I, I hope I did justice to it. So again, to conclude, a tremendous, tremendous sicha showing us how the verses are precise. Um, in the order of the building of the Mishkan is precise, showing us how the Rashi is precise on a literal level and uh, on a halachic level. He deviates from the Talmud because on the literal level of text, it is a skill and not just a, 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 a smarts and taking away beautiful lessons from the Sicha in real life um, that we should uh, that number one we should bring to the table all the talents that we have which is a special lesson it can be a life changing lesson if we think about it and, and the Rebbe makes a point to say, if you have a, a talent that no one else has, people tend to think of having a talent that no one has, it's not needed. No, that's the one that's needed. That's what these women did. They did something that no one can do. By the way, this lesson comes out even stronger according to the last section of the Sikhah, the Talmudic section. Because according to the Talmudic section, this was something the women really weren't supposed to do that part. So they found a way to contribute this extra talent in order to be part of it. And then, of course, the lesson of introducing another year to Yiddishkeit and Torah mitzvahs and not being worried about the order of uh, priorities because we need to help every single Yid uh, and avoid any pain and discomfort by their lack of Torah and mitzvahs.